Hello, I'm Kean Prendival, host of the Bottom Dog podcast, and as you know, over recent months, I've been working with other left and socialist activists here in Ireland to produce a new podcast called Left Inside. This week on Left Inside, I myself was interviewed about a recent article I wrote arguing that COVID-19 will be an era-defining moment. In the interview, we discussed the long-term impacts of this pandemic, uh, how it can help set a left-wing agenda for years to come, and how the political fallout of the new Irish government poses new opportunities for the left. I argue that the socialist left should rally around the call for a left government with socialist policies, and we discuss what such a government would mean. Have a listen. Make sure to subscribe to Left Inside in your podcast app for new episodes every week looking at news, politics and culture from the left. Hello and welcome to Left Inside. I'm Dermot Flood, your host for today, Sunday the 5th of July. This week we had hoped to do a special in-depth episode on the Green New Deal, but unfortunately some things didn't come together and we decided to shelve it for a while until we can do it justice. In place of that, and with absolutely no drop in quality, I'm joined by fellow Left Inside regular Keen Prendeville. Hey, how are things? Uh, we're going to have a chat about how coronavirus has affected the political landscape, but firstly... How's your Sunday going, Keen? And have you recovered from your massive disappointment at Limerick not being blessed with a minister? <laughs> um, oh, poor Willie O'D, you know. <laughs> How will he manage? They used to have a... There was an independent socialist uh, TD in Limerick before, Jim Kemmy, who used to have a phrase about Willie O'D, which was that he was a, he was a mighty mouse in Limerick and a Mickey Mouse in, in the doll. As in, like, <laughs> bang the table in Limerick, pretend like he got loads of shit done, but really... Actually, all he did, even when he was a minister, you know, Limerick still had some of the highest unemployment in the country. We had Willie O'Dea as a minister. We had Michael Noonan as a minister. We we always had the worst health crisis in the country. We always had the worst unemployment crisis. So uh, um, I don't really see uh, uh, what difference it made. <laughs> so at the moment, we kind of find ourselves in the midst of a historical pandemic, historical event, which will have massive effect on the lives of many people and will also have a similar effect on the political landscape, how this will change things is majorly unclear at this stage, but you yourself have written an article on lettucerise.ie titled No Going Back But What's Next, dealing with the subject. Uh, the article argues that the pandemic could and should set the political agenda for years to come. What is the, the main argument of the article? Yeah, so it's that like, there's big key events that shape entire decades, and I think that COVID is going to be one such event. Like, I was born in 1989, uh, the year of the, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, that shaped at least a decade. Uh, um, then you had 9-11, which shaped the, the, the noughties, uh, um, and the banking crash 2008, which shaped the, the last 12 years. And I think that COVID will be a similar era-defining um, moment. Um, and the question is, like, what political agenda does it set? So the collapse of the Berlin Wall shaped a decade, which was a decade of retreat for the workers' movement, for the socialist left, like this capitalist offensive, there is no alternative, all that stuff. And 9-11 shaped a decade of uh, war, imperialist aggression, um, clamped down on civil rights, the Patriot Act, all that sort of stuff. And and the, the, the collapse of the banking crisis shaped a decade of uh, Occupy, of the Bernie Sanders movement, uh, uh, um, uh, obviously Trump as well, but it, 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 set, it set that sort of an agenda. And then 
my article, I tried to tease out like what will be the long-term or medium-term political impacts of COVID. And I think that like, I wouldn't be black and white about it. I think undoubtedly the far right can try to make gains out of this, uh, um, whipping up anti-immigrant sentiment and, and all that. But I think in an Irish context, COVID po- points to the left. The lessons people will learn from this are largely left-wing uh, um, lessons. Yeah, and I think you've touched on that in the article. You state that there's opportunities for, especially the socialist left, to kind of shape this agenda. Why do you think this is the case? Like the the big things that we've seen over the past couple of months has been that radical action is possible. Um, the government said before, uh, "Oh, you, rent freezes aren't allowed." Uh, they, like I, I quoted Miel Martin saying that. Uh, um, in the middle of February, and then like three weeks later, a rent freeze was introduced, you know. Uh, um, so radical action that previously only the left had been arguing for, and the right had always claimed, oh, that's not possible. We we saw now that that is possible. You can freeze rents. Even the, the point about like a single-tier health service, um, the, the, during the crisis, during COVID, uh, the government acknowledged that actually the most rational uh, and fairest way to, 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 to tackle COVID uh, um, is to focus all our health resources in one system to bring the private hospitals into the public system uh, um, and you know control it that way. And I think that lesson will not be lost on people going forward. That like if that's the best way to fight COVID, then surely that's the the best way to fight cancer uh, uh, or depression. Why should it be any different? Yeah, exactly. That that like we can, there, there is a possibility of radical change and radical action and the thing that was holding us back wasn't that you weren't allowed to do it or that it wouldn't work, it was that the, that the political establishment didn't want it. And that they got to call what was an emergency. So housing up to this stage, although many recognise that the emergency it was, it didn't get the same treatment of like radical transformational action. Um, some of which you've seen in the response. You make a comparison in the article between the current conditions and those after the 2008 crash, when at that time the decision was made to bail out the banks and obviously put the costs on workers. What alternatives are you offering? Yeah, um, so there is a parallel uh, and there's a similar political question. Uh, Back then in 2008, what what happened was they bailed out the banks um, and they passed that bill onto working class people through austerity, taxes, water charges, all that sort of stuff, and, and austerity cuts in, in public services. Um, and I think we're gearing up for another attempt at that. Maybe a delayed austerity. They seem to be hinting that they're going to do like a couple of years of minor stimulus followed by uh, um, uh, the, uh, the full austerity then. But that we have a choice now. Do we repeat that same mistake, bail out the rich uh, um, and make working class people pay for it? Or do we demand that instead they bail out workers, uh, um, you know, use this as an opportunity? For instance, the, the, our, our childcare services are in crisis. Uh, creches have huge grants now being thrown at them. Uh, their wage bill is being paid by the state, basically. Um, and do we say, actually, instead of just bailing out private creches, we're going to use this as an opportunity to bring creches into a national childcare service and, and you know, create a national single, uh, like proper, fully public, uh, um, single tier national childcare service, uh, um, not as a bailout, but actually as a way of creating this as a, as a free public good. Um, and I think like, you can see that in childcare, but I think you'll see that across the board. Like transport is also, the transport sector is also in crisis. Um, wages in general being paid by the the state 
to the wage subsidy scheme. And then the question, like XOR, the Extinction Rebellion, are demanding that any sort of money given to these companies should come with, with green strings attached. That, like, if we're going to be paying the, the bill, uh, then we're going to demand that these transport companies, uh, uh, at the very least, have dramatic targets for uh, uh, reduction of greenhouse gases. But I'd go even further, and I'd say, actually, this is an opportunity to bring uh, transport into public control uh, um, and to use at the planet uh, um, uh, for public good rather than have it being one for private profit. You know. Yeah, and I've seen the protests that you mentioned there, XOR had, I think, yesterday or Friday, um, basically making the argument, which I think we'd both agree with, why at this stage, at this moment, would you commit so much of like resources to bailing out polluting companies when it's quite clear that a change needs to be made in in both sectors um so the arguments that you've made how do they contrast or how would you respond to the argument or the critique that at this time of crisis it's necessary to avoid that type of radical action or that it's once again impossible for us to do these things even more so but it, cl- it clearly is possible because they did it mm-hmm. uh, um they because they, cause they saw COVID as a crisis and an emergency and they took emergency action. But we need to similarly see like the crisis in our health service was already an emergency. We had, I think it's 800,000 people on hospital waiting lists before this crisis, you know. Uh, um, uh, in a country of four and a half, five million people, that's a huge backlog. And that was an emergency that should have been dealt with with emergency action. Uh, and similarly like the housing crisis, homelessness uh, um, was an emergency. Thousands of people homeless, uh, thousands of children uh, uh, in living in hotels. Um, uh, that needs to be dealt with as an emergency, and we've seen that it can be done through COVID. And we now just need to demand that we take the same approach uh, uh, now to these emergencies. Um, and this is the time. Like, we need to rebuild the economy. Uh, everybody says that it sort of loses all meaning, but like, we 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 do need to to rebuild the economy. But do you just go back? to the old normal, which was like an economy built on low wages, built on tax avoidance by the rich? Uh, um, or do you say, actually, let's build the economy in a different way. Let's have a Green New Deal uh, to kickstart the economy, but with socialist policies. Let's invest uh, um, in public transport. Let's invest in the childcare service. Let's, for, for instance, just take one example, which is the schools. We need the schools to reopen. Everybody wants the schools to be reopened in September. Um, but with COVID... Uh, like Ireland has classrooms of 30. In Denmark, schools reopened with 10 to 1, 10 students per, per, per teacher in some cases. You know, um, So this is an opportunity to reduce class sizes, hire thousands more teachers, uh, um, and in that sense, rebuild the economy by creating more jobs. Uh, um, but what you're doing it in a, in a green and socialist manner, you know? Yeah, and I think the the school, the example of the schools, there's been some recent critiques made by uh, journals about teachers being too afraid to get back in the classroom without the further discussion of like how this has accentuated a problem that Ireland has experienced for the past handful of years. And that's the same in housing, it's the same in health. But just this article was written two months ago, obviously before the formation of this government. Uh, how do you think things have changed since then? And how does like the current programme for government kind of claw back that narrative of what's normal or what's possible yeah i think the um so the title of my article was no going back but what lies ahead and it's clear now that it was clear then as well but that the establishment would try to bring us backwards um and like we they've started doing that so 
they've already reprivatized or, or handed the private hospitals back over to the Larry Goodmans and the Dennis O'Briens who usually run them. They've they've done that uh, and reestablished that two tier health service, uh, um, and they've started to gear up that they're going to. Uh, cut the pandemic unemployment payment, which put a certain floor under living standards, and you know ensured that people were getting uh, uh, three fifty a week, and they're they're starting to cut, try to cut that back. And it's clear from the program for government that they want to go back to that sort of neoliberal normal. But I think that it's also clear enough in my mind, anyway, that I don't think people are going to accept that. Like, I think that there will be major struggles, not necessarily in the next couple of weeks. Um, but in, in over the next months and years, there's going to be major struggles. Like people, like huge chunks of people are really pissed off with this government. This is like very few people voted in February wanting Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, uh, and Green government, you know. Uh, um, especially in working class communities, this is one of the most unpopular governments, you know. As in like it, it has the least votes in working class communities uh, um, of any government for, for, for decades. Yeah, I'd agree. Just in relation to the February uh, election, there was obviously... Um, a massive desire for change, a bit of a shift um, in Irish politics, which is much debated and discussed at the moment. How should the socialist left relate to this desire for change? A key reason why I wrote this article was to try to put across this argument that I think the next number of years will be dominated, um, not dominated necessarily, but will 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 have a major element of them will be a growing desire for an alternative government. A government without Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, that this is the first time Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have been forced together into government. It is the establishment circling the wagons, clinching government from the jaws of defeat uh, um, in February's election. And it'll be hated. But the logical next step is that people will start to say, well, next time, let's kick out Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Let's have a government without Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And they will look towards Sinn Féin. They'll look towards... Uh, uh, smaller uh, uh, left parties and there'll be a space in that for the socialist left um, to come out fighting and I think we need to embrace that um, desire for a political alternative embrace that desire for a left government excluding Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and say yes we want a left government but it needs to be a left government with socialist policies and outline the kind of approach that such a left government would need to take uh, um which, like, the, the, the kind of approach that we would need to take if we were to be able to tackle the housing crisis, the health crisis, the, the climate crisis. And they are socialist policies. So we need to say yes and. People want the left government. Yes, we want the left government. But that will have to be a government with, with socialist policies that's willing to stand up to the landlords, take on the big corporate polluters, um, uh, uh, ta- tackle the, the tax-dodging billionaires. You've uh, discussed there, and I'd, I'd agree with it as well, about the desire and need for a left government with socialist policies which will challenge and transform the system radically as needed to address the problems. Just concretely, how does that differ from what might be like the popular conception of a left government and just concretely, what are those policies and how would they challenge the system? Yeah, it's like, um, I would see socialist policies not as like a, a bonus extra. But as being, unless a left government had socialist policies, it wouldn't be able to fulfil its, its its promises. Uh, um, so if you look at Syriza in Greece, uh, um, they they were a left government. They were elected on the promise of ending austerity, uh, um, but uh, uh, they, they lacked the ra- radical socialist policies needed. So when the EU came to them 
held a gun to their heads and told them, you have to implement austerity. Uh, um, they buckled. Uh, um, when the banks uh, and the, like, the big businesses sabotaged their, that economy, uh, um, Syriza gave in and they said, okay, okay, we'll do whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want. And Syriza essentially became just another establishment party. For that not to happen, a left government in Ireland or, or elsewhere, you would need socialist policies. You would need to be, will- to be willing to say, uh, uh, no, we're, we're, we're going to break your diktats. We're not going to go along with that. If, if the banks are trying to use their economic power to blackmail the government, well, we're going to nationalise the banks, bring them into public ownership under democratic control. Uh, we're going to disarm the, the 1% uh, um, of those weapons that they use against us. And that's like, sometimes those more socialist policies of being willing to, to bring things into public ownership, of being willing to take on the rich, sometimes they're presented as like, oh, optional extras. Oh, yeah, I'd like that, but um, we might not get to it. You know, uh, 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 whereas my argument, my point is that without those socialist policies, you won't be able to uh, uh, um, meet the needs of ordinary people. You'll end up just repeating the same mistakes as Syriza, buckling under the pressure. Uh, um, and, and that's the, the thing. Like, that's what's happened, Sinn Féin, in the past in Stormont and on the councils. Uh, when push comes to shove, they have buckled under that pressure. Um, so we need a strong, vibrant socialist left in in this country. Yeah, and and if anything, failing to make those like implement those socialist policies just leaves space for the right who are at, like a serious threat at the moment. It, like failing to to fix or correct the issues allows for the right to present an alternative, which is obviously awful, and that's an even more pressing issue in the context of the program for government. Like it's not going to bring in a Green New Deal or a proper just transition, and that's like seeding ground to the right, who will obviously take up take up that space. Yeah, I think too often um, there's a, a tendency to speak about oh, uh, definitely from Sinn Fein they do this, but also like the Social Democrats and all these people they speak as if oh, all we need is a change of principles or motivations and if we have good people in there who are genuine then that'll change things and they they, they gut it of the class content um, which is actually a left government would need to be on the side of workers uh, um, and that means that they would need to be willing to take on the rich that you can't like Sinn Féin speak about oh well we want to represent all of Ireland like they, they speak as if they can represent both the 99% and the 1% at the same time uh, and that's not possible a, a left government would need to be unashamedly on the side of workers. They'd need to be willing to take on the landlords, the big businesses, the billionaires, uh, and the tax uh, uh, dodging uh, uh, companies, as well as the, the big polluters. Um, and that means that you have to see it as such a, a class struggle government, trying to build a different society, breaking the power and the dictatorship of big business and moving towards a socialist uh, um, society. Uh, yeah, so we may both uh, discussed the election and the kind of wave that was caused from that. Uh, but obviously the pandemic has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works and altered the political landscape in a few different ways. How do you see the socialist left proceeding from here? And is there anything uh, in your mind that's changed from your perspective when you wrote the article? Yeah, I think that the there's a huge opportunity now for the socialist left in Ireland. Um point that I make in the article is that in the 2007, in 2007, just before the last crash uh, and crisis, Sinn Féin had five TDs. Um, now the socialist left have five TDs. Um, Sinn Féin went from that position to now being the largest party in the state 
because the crisis, that crisis had such a big impact. And I think this crisis can have a massive impact for the left if we play our cards right um, and take a bold and principled uh, um, approach. Um, what I think um, that means um, is I think that the, the some things that have changed is obviously we've now seen a, the, the Greens going into government with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. The left Greens uh, um, so far seem to be sitting in and staying in the Green Party. I think that would be a mistake. So I would urge them to, to keep leave and to join with the socialist left in building a kind of a eco-socialist movement. And the, the other thing that I would say is that the, uh, the, 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 we still have the problem that I highlighted, which is that in the general election in February, the socialist left st- stood against itself and, and was fragmented um, and lost seats as a result. You know, In Fingal, there was three candidates from the, the radical left, uh, um, one of whom ended up losing out by 200 votes. You know, we, we could have won an extra seat there. We could have won an extra seat in Dublin Bay North. Uh, um, and we need to stop shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, um, but I don't mean to be negative about this. I do think we, we have a, a huge possibilities uh, now if we can lead on this struggle for radical change uh, um, and for uh, uh, social transformation of society. Um, so I think that I would be positive and optimistic about that potential um, if we can get, in, get stuck in and, and keep building that. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think uh, that's a good note to wrap up. That's the first time I've ever done an interview and had to pretend like I was completely neutral and didn't agree with the vast majority of what you're saying as well. Uh, so that's a different experience. I'm sure I'll do that a lot more on this podcast anyway. Um, so thanks a million for sitting down with me anyway, Keen. Cool. Cheers. And uh, as always... Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be editing now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not much to edit. Uh, yeah, so more information and further reading on everything we've discussed here can be found in the episode description, along with links for social media. We'd really appreciate if you could follow us on Twitter, give us a positive rating on your podcast provider, and just generally spread the word around if you know anyone who'd be interested. Any comments or queries can also be sent to the show's email address, which I'll include in links below. And as for us, uh, we have some cracking episodes and guests lined up for the next few weeks. So we shall see you then. See you later. Bye. Bye.